and welcome to the second episode in our social value series. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting, and I'm joined by Dr. Amy Tabari, who's founder and director at Co-Creative and formerly director of Urban Analytics at Acom, and by Kate Nottage, who's social impact director for Grosvenor. Thank you very much, both of you, for coming in. Now, one of those things that I would normally ask you up front would be to give me a one-sentence explanation of what social value is, but I'm fearing that's probably going to take the full 30 minutes of discussion. So, Kate, before we get into that, let's start with you. Grosvenor and the London School of Economics, uh, you're soon to publish jointly a study that you've commissioned to benchmark well-being and social value across Mayfair and across the area that Grosvenor has most of an interest in. And you're taking a holistic look, uh, not just residents, but workers, tourists, and the broader socioeconomic value and the ecosystem that exists around Grosvenor's estate. Can you give us a bit of a preview as to what we can expect from that and shape some of the thinking, obviously, that, that you must be developing as one of the, the long-term stewards of, of London real estate. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Andy, and, and thanks for having me here today. So however you define social value, which I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to shortly, one of the fundamental principles is that you need to understand need. It's so locally contextual that understanding what communities actually value is the core principle of how you then go on to deliver social value. So that's something we've been spending quite a lot of time thinking about, as you say, recently commissioned a study with Symmetrica Jacobs and the London School of Economics to baseline well-being in our places. So thinking about how residents, workers and visitors experience our places and actually how those places perform against established ONS measures of well-being. Now, that's resulted in a really comprehensive evidence base of around 2,000 uh, respondents, which has enabled us to compare how our neighbourhoods perform to other comparable places, to the regional averages, to the national averages. And what that's allowing us to do is actually focus the way that we want to deliver social impact and how we will deliver it through our activities. Mm. So presumably that will then shape your asset management strategy and, and exactly other. exactly the idea is that through getting a better sense of need and particularly need that crosses all of those three stakeholder groups i mentioned thinking about communities holistically residents workers and visitors we can then gear up our asset management approach our development approach the way we manage properties around the core needs that that research has surfaced and crucially have a way to actually baseline where we are today and the contribution we make in the future. Mm. So Amy Tabari, evidence data, that's your game as well. You were director of Urban Analytics uh, for one of the big global consultancies and and you then went on to set up Co-Creative as a consultancy and an agency. Tell me some of your perspectives on this. So where do you think we are currently at in being able to talk to an evidence base when we're thinking around social value? Because some would say it's quite an abstract almost like a bit of a marketing line that people are now trotting out. And I think as a result of that, there's equal parts confusion and equal parts cynicism around this because of a lack of understanding around what social value is, a lack of understanding about what evidence people need and a lack of trust in some of the evidence that some people are putting forward. Thank you, Andy. And um, yeah, thank you from me as well for having me here today. Yes, I think that is a really good and pertinent question. And when it comes to measuring, there are many areas where you can measure and many different outputs 
and different areas that you can use the measuring for. And I do think that the in the case of Grovner, for example, like trying to self-assess what you're doing in the benchmarking and clearly the kind of place-based, project-by-project-based approach is really useful to help the Grovner's decision-making. Mm. On the other hand, I think the cynicism that you mentioned are related to sort of standardization of metrics and things like that. And I think, yes, there are dangers in kind of trying to focus too much on measuring and actually forgetting mm. that what the context is. Yeah, so too much qualitative over quantitative. Yes, it could be distracting. And increasingly, people are monetizing this, aren't they? They're just trying to put pound sign values against this. Give me your view on that and, and then we'll, we'll come on to Kate because again in terms of how social value is being used being weaponized some could say there are, again there are different schools of thought again around how you value it. Yes so I co-authored ULI's report they're zooming in on the S in ESG and we did talk about that in that report as well. And while I appreciate the kind of usefulness of the measuring and putting a pound sign in certain contexts, I think there is a danger in creating this misconception that you understand social value. Mm. And actually, the tools that you have to monetize might actually limit the definition of social value. So mm. what you can't measure, you might not try to address. And, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and that's quite counterproductive. And also as a principle, the social value for me, almost movement of social value is about start valuing non-financial values and putting the pound sign against it, exacerbates the culture that only value the things that have monetary value. Yeah, yeah. And Kate, from your perspective, monetizing social value is clearly a necessity for some investors and for different actors in the market to be able to say, we've spent X, we've created Y. But clearly there is a need just to do things because they're the right things to do, right? Yeah, absolutely, Andy. I think, you know, we shouldn't forget that the fundamental, you know, purpose of social value is to create better places to improve lives and actually trying to put a monetary value on that is really problematic in, in my mind. And and I agree with Amy, it has a purpose in certain settings and it can be a way in to talk about impact, but it's actually a really narrow lens through which to consider impact. And Yes, as Amy says, the results and the interventions and what you then focus on doing get quite skewed as a result of it. And there's also a lot of companies out there using, you know, different methodologies coming up with quite radically different numbers, which means I think as a comparison, it, it's becoming less useful. Well, that's the same thing in pure sustainability arenas though, isn't it? I mean, this is one of the problems. I mean, I'm, I'm known on this podcast over the last nearly five years for my rants about different certification systems and, and how the main beneficiaries from them are the companies that make the certification uh, yeah. systems. Uh, and yeah. so let's not get into that rant now. But, yeah. but my point is, you know, your challenge here is that there's no consistency of, of data and reporting 
And my challenge is, well, what's the opportunity maybe for to, for creating one? Because there's something that that we could do across the sector to maybe look at that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, we don't want to create another industry into itself, which is sort of what's happened with social value to, to mm. a point, I think now. But if you can focus it back on real life outcomes, and probably, you know, look at evolving some of the great work that people like ULI, like UKGBC have been doing to establish frameworks and ways of thinking about social value creation, then actually taking that to the next level of establishing sort of an industry kite mark or you know, measure of quality and standardization of measures then is an interesting concept. But I think whenever people have started trying to go down that route, you start coming up against the fundamental challenge of just how locally dependent and contextual social value is. Mm. So in terms of different actors, different people in the universe, Amy, who needs to be involved? If a client of yours, if an investor, a landlord, asset manager, anybody involved in the life cycle of real estate, in fact, wants to be seen as or wants to help generate social value, who needs to be involved in that process? Yes, well, the community in the wider context of a particular asset or development is definitely one of the groups. And it depends on the asset type. But for example, if it's retail centre, then if the client is the landlord, then there are tenants and then there are employees of tenants as well as visitors in the community. And I think the people are increasingly looking at the relationship beyond tenants, direct relationship, but also the employees of tenants, so what tenants are doing with their employees and then how their activities, behaviour, mentality can mm. be aligned with the overall objectives that the client wants to achieve. Yeah, yeah. And Kate, from Grosvenor's perspective, obviously you've got incredibly diverse neighbourhoods within your asset base and an extensive range of different customers in terms of the business occupiers, retail, office, leisure, and everything in between, as well as an increasingly diverse pool of residents. So there's clearly no easy way to take the pulse there because there's so many pulses to take, right? Yeah, that's true. And it's a constant sort of struggle we have to weigh up and balance the different interests that inevitably there are coming from such different diverse groups. But actually, the research I mentioned has been really useful in that regard. And, and interestingly, what we've seen is probably more commonality than we'd expect between what the issues were from our different communities in in those places. And, you know, that's something that through decent engagement, meaningful opportunity, a continuous presence out in our communities, we're getting better at balancing. But sure, it's no easy task. And I think the other important point just to make here is that, yes, you need to understand community need and you need to ask them and you need to use data to understand that in as robust a way as you can. But clearly, you know, a commercial business can't just respond to every particular need there might be. And finding that intersection with what is your core business, what you can credibly affect change around is for us where we're trying to focus our efforts and where we think there should be a real sweet spot where we can deliver maximum social impact, but also have co-benefits, whether those be environmentally or commercially for us as a business. And how have some of the different investments you've made in the estate in renewing different areas in some of the hyper-local locations that you've invested in 
as a well as, as a predominantly asset management business how have those generated value give us yeah. a couple of examples yeah okay so one recent example down in belgravia is eccleston yards which was actually a you know a relatively small investment comparatively to what you might see in large-scale regen and development but the transformation there has been quite dramatic a sort of fairly unused car park unused part of Belgravia which has suddenly become an anchor for wellness for people to visit to socialize to create jobs around and that is just one example of where actually a lot of the time focus is on large-scale developments and construction activities but where we think there's real opportunity to maximize and see the long-term social value creation is in our existing ownership and around upgrading it improving it making it more inviting inclusive and so the operational phase in particular of that is also another untapped opportunity that we're really trying to get our heads around at the moment and it's one that the industry the social value industry isn't really quite set up and get up enough around from my point of view at the moment why do you think that is um, I think, you know, inevitably the planning system has created a bit of a spotlight on planning and large scale development. And there is huge social value opportunity through that. But there isn't the same system and policy and regulation around asset management and more established neighbourhoods. So I think there's a policy point, but there's also probably a, an ease point. In many respects, it's easier when you're starting from scratch, when you're conceiving a development to think about this in quite a defined way but through established neighborhoods you need to think about it in quite a different way and i think it's just a bit harder and we've not quite got there yet mm. amy on that point tell us about how you think we can affect culture change within organizations because obviously from what kate describes with grosvenor you've clearly got a business that's fully aligned behind a, a vision and you've got a leadership that's absolutely committed to this and and certainly you know, for my 17 years in this sector i've always seen organizations like Grosvenor, LNG, Landsex as being those North Stars within real estate who take the lead on all sorts of things, whether it's social values, science-based sustainability targets, anything at all, right? And everyone then follows. But that cultural buy-in is as important within the organization as it is within the community. So are there things that you've seen in your consultancy career that could be tips for any advisors or c-suite listening to this thinking well how do i shape my organization how do i kick people into touch so in my work i tend to use a couple of tools the stakeholder and impact mapping tools this is to create or identify the shared values so i do agree with kate about this kind of focus on the core business so when you do something and then your business certainly have mandate as well as aspirations and then on the other hand you have community needs and the how do they overlap so if you start understanding that how your business impacts on community and also how what they do impacts on say commercial performance of your real estate those are the kind of starting points and there are mm. always social elements to how, it. how do you weigh those though how do you ensure that and how do you take the decision because there will be sometimes some occasions where you might take a commercial decision that's going to erode some social value and that might be okay so how should businesses look to balance those things out yes i think that's a really good question and this is a challenge in the social domain in particular that it's not black and white and 
in every project, individuals are involved are different. And the same thing that you do, that you might get different reactions. So it is about kind of constant revision and a constant assessment. Mm. And again, this must be an issue for Groven as well. And we certainly see that with clients that we have, the great estates and, and other institutional investors, where there is a aversity to risk, that realization that you can't please everybody all of the time and the knowledge that when you do something, there'll be somebody that doesn't like it. And how do you weigh that? There must be, I guess, there's an internal mechanism that thinks about reputational risk, that thinks about commercial risk, that thinks about then obviously the upsides of these things in terms of engagement, in terms of just livability of place. Sure. Yeah, I, I think we, we're really aware of that. And increasingly, perhaps over the last few years have become more confident in addressing... Just, I guess in reading the room, right? I mean, in, in reading the room, in not trying to please everyone, in accepting that you can't necessarily do that. But, you know, our values and how we do business are as important as what we do. So even if you are not going to please someone, you know, doing that in a transparent, open, direct way that you know, doesn't feel behind the, the curtain in any respect is, you know, a really important part of that. And just having a confidence in our purpose and what we're trying to achieve and ensuring that that aligns as much as it possibly can with what our key stakeholders needs and interests are as well. But, you know, equally not trying to always agree on absolutely everything. Mm. And Amy, you talked a little bit earlier about the ULI, the Urban Land Institute Social Value Guide published last year. Give us a couple of other examples of the findings of that guide and, and other things that listeners might want to pick up from? Well, the report was published March last year. And since then, things have, it feels like things have moved on quite quickly. But there are definitely elements that I'm sure are still relevant and useful. One of the things is the range of tools, availability of tools and confusion related to that. And what we said was the kind of principle-based approach. And when we talked about the standardization earlier, and in my view, the and also what this is what we said in the report is that the the kind of approach could be standardized and principle-based approach. So that principles includes the project by project, the place-based approach. And that's something that might be still worth emphasizing mm. when a lot of players are focusing on measures and specific tools and so on. Mm. And how, Amy, do you think organizations need to align what they're doing around social value with other areas of their ESG objectives and strategies? How much emphasis do they need to place on the S versus the E versus the G? I think the approach needs to be fully integrated. It's not one or the other. And sometimes a solution can address all of those issues. So the differences between environmental goal or economic goal or social goals, health and well-being goals, all these kind of differentiations are useful in organizing our head. Mm. But in reality, what people experience are seamless across those elements. Mm. So we really need to look at from the outcomes 
point of view. Yeah. Because I mean, because some because some people would say that actually companies can only do so much without the E. We don't have anything else, so let's just focus on the E. And that's the view of I'm not going to quote them, but some people that have spoken to me recently have said actually, look, we need to just focus here. We need to not get distracted. We're companies, investors. We can't save society and deal with all of the world's social ills. I'm interested, Kate, perspective that you would take on that. Yeah. Again, coming back to the, the massive diversity of customers and occupiers that, that you have and, and I guess the broader outlook that, that Grosvenor has always had on all of these things. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, you've, you've got to start somewhere and, and for us, environmental sustainability is, is probably where we have started. We have you know, industry-leading goals in that space. We have clear targets. We're delivering well against them. And for us, that was a starting point, but always a place we intended to grow from. And certainly our intent is to evolve social sustainability into our overall approach. So we get to that integrated point that Amy's talking about. And, you know, I think it's worth remembering that even the UN defines sustainability as about people and planets. And we have focused a lot on the planet for obvious reasons, and rightly so. But the people part of that is so entwined with it that... Mm. You know, prag- pragmatically, you have to start somewhere, but they need to come together. And, and engaging with different customers, occupiers, residents, tourists, presumably it's now becoming a lot easier post-COVID, post-lockdowns. And are there things that Grosvenor's now doing differently from a few years ago on that front? Yeah. Is technology making yeah. things easier? Te- give us some examples. Yeah, sure. Engagement has come on a huge way in the last few years and, and COVID has, has helped that. The sort of lessons we learned about how better to connect and make it easier for people during COVID, we've certainly carried through. So a lot more of our engagement does happen online, through social channels, through virtual meetings. That said, you know, firm believer in meaningful engagement still needing to happen in person. So that hybrid approach is, is really important, but undoubtedly digital engagement has come right to the fore. The other uh, area we've spent a lot of time on is employee capability. You know, just the sustainability can't be driven by an individual or at a team. It needs to be driven by the business as a whole. And the same is true for engagement. We have a, a very small in-house team, but their work has been focused on upskilling and building the confidence and competence of our employees to be able to engage in a really meaningful, quality way with our communities. And and that's the sort of programme that we want to evolve into the wider social impact space now as well. So we can really keep growing that knowledge base and empower our employees to deliver it. And presumably it has been a cultural drive from within the leadership of the organization. What things are there you think that other investors, landlords, asset managers, what are some of the things that they could learn from Grosvenor's experiences? Yeah, okay, so CEO leadership has been absolutely integral, having an accountable, dedicated executive member of of his team as well, integrating. So I am social impact director, but in my team is environmental sustainability, is innovation, is community engagement. So bringing those functions together to get to that optimum place. And then actually thinking about the levers you have as a business and how you can encourage certain behaviours, whether that be through goal setting through remuneration so our bonus system is based on environmental and social goals making up half of our approach so you know there are tools that you can take and just that point around empowering the business so making them part of this journey and asking them how best to deliver the goals through their respective areas of the business has been absolutely key and do you think there's opportunity amy to do that to link more of of people's bonuses and remunerations to social goals would that do you think affect 
the kind of culture change that we clearly need to see. Yes, certainly. I think that is what Grovner is doing is fantastic. It seems that the top level aspirations are really cascaded down to the operation level. In my experience, a lot of organisations, they are producing fantastic strategy reports on sustainability and aspirations and so on. They are genuinely trying to do but there are still disparity with the, what's happening in operational level. So, for example, mm. even the project that they're going to, to bid for, they don't necessarily decide based on the outcomes or impact in to the community or society. They do look at the profitability, the scale of the, the project and so on, and also the time that they work on. They would be measured by the the kind of billable time. Yeah, and so we so spent on. seventy million hours painting the local park rather than exactly. our work has helped fifty families enjoy playtime better. Exactly. So unless yeah. internal value system changes and is aligned with the top level aspirations, then it's going to be very difficult to create operational level changes. Yeah, and that's a good point because I suppose it kind of comes back to one of my earlier rants about people's views on this being driven sometimes by some of the adverts you see on hoardings where you know we've created you know a ridiculous number of something. I mean, when you read websites of certain companies and they say well, we've got five hundred years' experience in the sector, and you think, well. I'd rather just have people that have got the right experience over the last 10 years rather than 500 years and they've added the ages together of their board members and come to a ridiculous <laughs> number and you just think this is nonsense so how do we get around that how do we make that change from companies thinking about how many hours they've spent painting a tree versus how many families they've taken out of poverty or, or, or something much more meaningful mm, yeah i think that's a good question and i don't think we have all the answers yet but keeping it real is something that i always try to keep in mind when we're thinking about measurement and what we're actually trying to achieve so you know how do we keep it real for us how do we keep it manageable how do we keep it real for our stakeholders and that's when coming back to the earlier discussions around monetization and 101 different measures to talk about different aspects of what you do starts to muddy rather than help the case you are trying to really make. So something that we are doing as part of the strategy development process we're going through at the moment to establish our social impact strategies, really try and consolidate our measures down to what we think matters most, what we can actually make a credible impact around and what we think our stakeholders care most about. And Amy, do you agree with that, that monetization muddies the case for social value? I think that the kind of very financial related metrics do muddy the conversation. I think by that the same amount of effort and time can be spent on actually talking about values rather than whether the right metrics and, you know, finding more kind of proxies to monetize and things like that. Mm, mm. Well, I guess we obviously are seeing a bit of a sub-industry grow up here around the measurement and monetization of things. But drawing things to a close, Kate, what can people expect over the next year as they're walking around Mayfair, what sorts of fun, interesting, socially minded projects can we expect to be, you know, Instagramming, seeing, engaging with that, that, that <laughs> are within the purview of your team? 
Yeah, I, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening across the neighbourhood at the moment. And one example of that is just in the coming weeks, actually, we're about to launch a sustainable department store called The Good Store from a social enterprise called Groundwork, which is on South Moulton Street, just near Bond Street Station. You know, and that's an example of how something like tenant choice has a huge impact on the amount of value that you can deliver to a local community and more widely societally. So really interested to see how that tenant gets on. And we've, we've got another great example, just a few doors down, the Fair Shot Cafe, which is doing amazing things, working with people from quite challenging circumstances to bring them into the shop and train them and, and serve customers in a really sustainable and socially mindful way. And then I suppose at the other end of the spectrum, we're hoping that our planning submission for Gravener Square, transformation of public space there to really help redefine what green spaces and cities can do for well-being, for nature, we hope will be approved by Westminster later this year. And so work should begin on that sooner than later too. Mm. And then this drive to improve biodiversity within the city, I mean, I thought that's a is a win-win for everyone and some fantastic you know some of the, the visuals on that look, look amazing and, and and i think i know there's lots of people in the industry looking at that closely because i think what really will raise the bar for urban biodiversity in london amy just bringing things to a close so you've set up a new venture haven't you just give us a quick plug for that before we finish so you're taking your japanese roots to spain yes <laughs> quite a jump so I'm teaming up with an asset management firm called Estabona, who is based in Madrid. And we've just recently launched Estabona Social Value. Our focus is to help the execution of social value creation. And so, yes, primarily starting in Spain, but who knows? Mm. Well, if you need anyone to come and uh, eat tapas with you and and shape any ideas i'm 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 all ears very happy to jump on a plane tomorrow afternoon uh, so let us know about that and and if not i will see you uh, very soon in in grosvenor square well, it sounds like a time to do a picnic when you've uh, well be when you when you come back with the <laughs> with the boy with the baby brilliant uh, yeah I'd be delighted to host you excellent stuff well look thank you very much uh to dr amy tabari to kate nottage from Grosvenor. Thank you so much uh, to everybody for listening. You can subscribe to Propcast on Apple, on Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. And we'll be continuing this uh, mini-series on social value and, and also our discussions around the wider climate crisis and, and ESG agenda. So thanks to everybody for listening and you can catch up on recent episodes we've done uh, on all sorts of issues, really from Box Park to Marks and Spencers on any of the channels. I've been Andrew Teacher. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>